Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on YouTube, where we are less than 300 subscribers away from 5,000. Spotify, Apple, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or your favorite podcasting platforms. Hit the like button, leave a comment, and turn on the notification bell so you get a notification every time we drop a podcast. 24-10, the Colts fall to the Baltimore Ravens, and Frank Reich did the unthinkable in this game. He did the unthinkable thinkable for me about an hour and a half ago at some point in the middle of the third quarter of this game and that was take my anger and frustration that I had towards the officiating towards the rules that are not clear cut in the NFL and redirect it at him and his horrible terrible play calling in the second half of this game Frank Reich had another one-trick pony game another genie in the bottle where he grants you one wish type game where we have one beautiful series to start this game. I think it was the second drive of this game. Beautiful. We're getting multiple guys involved. We're balanced between the pass and the run. We go right down the field and we score a touchdown. We don't see the end zone for the rest of the game. And this has happened so many times this season where Frank Reich and this offense look brilliant, absolutely brilliant on one drive Early in the ball game, they go right down the field. They get multiple guys involved, four, five, six receivers, running backs, tight ends. They touch the football. We're balanced. We get in the end zone. And then it's like, okay, let's see if the defense can hold this for the rest of the game. And we're going to turn it over on downs three times. We're going to turn it over twice. Let's see if the defense could hold a seven-point lead because that's all we're going to give them. And then we're going to give up seven points before they even give up 20 yards of total offense to the Baltimore Ravens. This has been a theme for the Frank Reich offenses. He's all about rhythm. And Phillip Rivers is all about rhythm. And Phillip Rivers isn't out of the woods here. I mean, Phillip Rivers deserves his fair share of criticism. Jonathan Taylor, for that fumble, deserves his fair share of criticism. The offensive line deserves their fair share of criticism. Because they weren't where we expect them to be. And there's a lot of blame to go around on the offensive side of the football. And the defense wasn't perfect in the second half, but they were damn near perfect in the first half. They caused a turnover after a 65-yard drive to open up the second half, and then they're back on the field one play later. And I'm going to get into the officiating, and no, that was not an interception. Marcus Peters did not have possession of the football. And we're going to get into that, and I'm going to get into the officiating, and that was regardless of the call from the officials. That was a boneheaded decision from Phillip Rivers. It was a bad read. It was an awful throw. He threw up a duck. You just got the ball back. Your defense just made an incredible play. Got the ball back for our offense. And one play later, you put the football in a position and you give the refs an opportunity to even make that awful reversal on the call. So there's a lot of blame to go around. Frank Reich, Phillip Rivers, the entire offense as a unit, the officials. I'm not going to really get on the defense because the defense was perfect in the first half. You're going up against a John Harbaugh coach team. You know they're going to make adjustments. You're going up against the reigning MVP in Lamar Jackson. You know he's going to eventually make plays. You're not going to shut him down for an entire game, but we did shut him down for an entire half. 
Baltimore's entire offense in the first half came defensively on the scoop and score on the Jonathan Taylor fumble. So, a lot of my criticism is going to be towards Frank Reich. And a lot of my criticism is also going to be towards the officiating and the rules. How in the world did Des Bryant not catch that ball? How in the world did Calvin Johnson not catch that ball? And how in the world did Marcus Peters intercept that ball? A catch is a catch. You have to maintain possession. He never had possession. He never at any point through the process of the interception had possession. The ref's talking about two, three steps. There was never possession. By the time his first foot hit the ground, and definitely by the time his second foot hit the ground, the ball was moving. There was no clear possession at any point. And you need to be 100, not 99.99% sure. You need to be 100% sure in the NFL, the way the rules are set up, which I don't even agree with, but the way they're set up, you need to be 100% sure. I was 1 billion percent sure that he did not catch the football. I was 1 billion percent sure that the ball was moving as he was going to the ground. He didn't make a football move. If that's a receiver, they have to make a football move. Where was the football move from Marcus Peters? He didn't take three steps. He never had possession of the football. You called it a drop on the field. Then you go to replay and you're going to claim you had 100% undisputable evidence that he caught that football? 100%. You're going to be 100% sure that he caught that football and he maintained possession for three steps. And then fumbled the football before he hit the ground. I'm not buying it. I'm absolutely not buying it. That was a drop. If that's a wide receiver, that's a drop. So why is it not a drop for the defensive back? A drop is a drop. The rule should not change if you're a defensive back. If you're a corner or you're a receiver, a catch should be a catch. And Des Bryant, who by definition of the rule at the time, did not catch the ball. He did not catch the ball back in 2014, 2015 in the postseason for Dallas. He did not catch the ball by definition. Now, Calvin Johnson, I thought by definition he did catch the ball. I thought those plays were different. But you can't tell me that Calvin Johnson dropped it and Des Bryant dropped it and Marcus Peters caught it. And you could tell me the rules changed. Okay, fine. The rules changed. The football move. All that stuff's different now. But you still need to maintain possession of the football. There was never possession of the football. Marcus Peters never had possession of the football. That's an awful call. An awful call. And you know what else was an awful call? Julian Blackman, a helmet to helmet, an unnecessary roughness against Lamar Jackson. That was a good call. I'm not saying that was a bad call. That was a good call. It was unlucky because Lamar kind of ducked into the hit. But you have to have a rule even if the intent is not bad, even if it's not considered like a targeting in college, even if the intent's not bad from Blackman, you still need to protect the players. So I get that. I get that. But on the flip side, Jack Doyle takes a helmet-to-helmet shot as a defenseless receiver, and they don't throw a flag on third down. That moves the chains. That could be four more points. If we score four more points there, it could be a different game. So there were so many instances in this game where I thought the Colts came out on the wrong side of the officiating. Not the unfortunate side, the wrong side. They got the Doyle 
no flag call or no call, wrong. They got that overturn wrong. You need to be 100% sure. And they were not 100% sure. They couldn't have been. They claimed they were. But I actually thought there was enough to be 100% sure the call on the field was right. I actually thought that that should be confirmed that it was a drop. Because Marcus Peters dropped the ball. He did not intercept the football. He never had possession of the football. And somehow, as mad as I might sound right now about that call, we end up losing this game 24-10. We end up losing this game by 14 points. Because Frank Reich was so poor in the second half of this game, one yard of total offense in the third quarter. And third quarters have been a struggle for the Colts offense this season. A struggle. Even against Cincinnati, we scored 24 unanswered. Whatever it was against Cincinnati, we had that great comeback after trailing 21-zip. I don't think we scored in the third quarter. The third quarter has been a struggle for this offense all season. It's been our worst quarter by a landslide. The first quarter has been a great quarter for the Colts, for the most part. We usually open the game strong. The only game we really didn't was that Cincinnati game. But usually, first or second possession, those scripted series, Frank Reich's good. The offense is clicking on all cylinders. We move the ball down the field. We find a way to get in the end zone, usually. One of the first two possessions of the game. It's been a theme this year for the Colts. And then we just go stone cold. We go stone cold. Week in and week out, we go stone cold. In the second half of this game, it was almost like Frank Reich was content. We carried a three-point lead into the half. And that was, I mean, at the time, at half, when you look at the statistics at halftime, and then the game stats, we put up over 300 yards of total offense. We have 10 points to show for it. 10 points to show for over 300 yards of total offense. At the half, Lamar Jackson, 51 passing yards. The Ravens, as a team, 18 rushing yards. So they had less than 70 yards of total offense between the team running the football and Lamar throwing the football. Jackson had 15 rushing yards at the half. So the rest of the offense between Edwards and Dobbins, the rest of the guys, they only had three rushing yards. Three rushing yards. And we carried a three-point lead into the half. And that Jonathan Taylor fumble was inexcusable. It was unacceptable. And he got benched. And rightfully so, he got benched. I don't know if I would have benched him the rest of the game like they seemingly did for the rest of the game because he opened the game strong. He was actually playing really well, scored a touchdown, scored the only touchdown of the game. He was playing well, opened the game with, I think, a 12-yard reception. So he was playing well. Even the play he fumbled, it was a solid nine-yard run before fumbling the football. But Lamar Jackson, 51 passing yards. The Ravens as a team, 18 rushing yards at the half. Phillip Rivers, 126 passing yards. And the Colts as a team, 75 rushing yards. So we were dominating. We dominated. Absolutely dominated the first half of this game. Yardage-wise, I mean, everywhere except the scoreboard and the turnover differential. Those were the only two spots. And the punter. I thought their punter outpunted Rigoberto Sanchez. Sanchez had a couple touchbacks, which is unlike him. And their punter pinned us one time inside the five-yard line. So I thought that was a difference in the first half of this game. But the main difference was the Jonathan Taylor fumble. He fumbles. They get a scoop and score the other way. It's 10-7 at the half when the Colts pretty much dominated this game. And one of my main issues with Frank Reich is when you get him out of his rhythm, 
And Rivers is very similar in this way, but I think Rivers falls into line behind Reich because I think it starts, obviously, every play starts with the play call, and then it goes to the execution of the players. So I think the rhythm of this team, and Jacoby was not a great rhythmic quarterback, and that was one of the things this offseason. We wanted a quarterback who is a rhythmic player. And you look around the league, there's a lot of guys like that that are like, eh, when they're out of a rhythm or bad when they're out of a rhythm, but really good when they get into a rhythm. You look at Derek Carr. What Derek Carr did to us last year because we let him get into a rhythm to start the game. And Phillip Rivers is similar in that regard, where he's a good rhythmic quarterback. If everything's flowing, he could flow with the game. But you don't want to get him off track. And it seems like every single game, Frank Reich finds a way to get off track. Whether it's his doing or it's a third down play where we have to punt and all of a sudden everything goes out of whack or a holding call that backs us up and gives us a second and 20 and it throws the entire offense out of whack or if it's today's Jonathan Taylor fumble because we were moving the ball. Obviously, the defense was balling in the first half of this game. We're up 7-zip. We're moving the ball. We're around the 50-yard line. Everything's clicking. We're clicking on all cylinders offensively. The fumble, the scoop, and score, and then we were done. Offensively, for the rest of the game, we were shot. Frank Reich is like a train, and once he gets off the tracks, he can't find the tracks. He can't get back on the tracks, and the rest of the game is just a wash offensively. It happens week in and week out. It happens a lot. The only time we went from off the track to on the track with Frank Reich this year was the Cincinnati game, but we didn't start the game on the track, so it seems like he gets on the track once a game every game. The only game he started off the track and then found the track was the Cincinnati game. The rest of the games, it seems that we start on the track, we derail, and we can't find it, and we're done. And the rest of the game, it's like, oh, well, I hope the defense could hold a seven-point lead or a three-point lead, or I hope the defense could score a touchdown because we're trailing. That's what it seems like to me. And I saw some people on Twitter today complaining about the defense in the second half of this game. We lost this game 24-10. The Ravens had a scoop and score. The Ravens had a short field on an interception that came one play after our defense forced an interception. And then the Ravens had a field goal that was set up off a turnover on downs where they didn't even convert. They went three and out and they kicked the field goal. So they got the ball in field goal range. I don't know how you can blame the defense for that. So 10 points right there you can't blame the defense for. Another seven points out of the 14 points remaining, the defense... Had a 60-yard drive go against them. Baltimore opened up the second half. Great drive, 65 yards. Our defense makes a stop inside the five-yard line. DeForest Buckner makes that incredible play, knocks it out of Lamar Jackson's hands, recovered by Darius Leonard, fumbled by Darius Leonard, recovered by Bobby Okariki. A really solid return by Okariki after the Leonard fumble. It would have been great. If he took it to the house, the game's over. I think Colts win the game if he takes it to the house. Our defense, one play later, after that ridiculous decision by Phillip Rivers and the ridiculous call by the officials on the overturn, our defense is right back out on the field. So our defense, which was perfect in the first half, has a bend-don't-break drive to open the second half. You're going up against the reigning MVP. He's going to make plays. He makes plays. They're clicking. Great drive by Baltimore. Inside the five-yard line, Colts defense gets a stop. Bend-don't-break. Get the ball back to the offense. First play, Phillip Rivers boneheaded decision, boneheaded decision, terrible throw, looked like a duck, just a just a floating dead duck up in the air. Marcus Peters should pick it off. Marcus Johnson makes a great play knocking it away. 
I mean, that was like a corner. Like, he looked like a cornerback on that play, knocking it away. It was a great play by Marcus Johnson, and then an awful reversal. An awful reversal by the officiating crew. Our defense is right back out on the field. So I'm not going to blame the defense for this game. Lamar's going to make plays. And John Harbaugh and his coaching staff is going to adjust at the half. You know they're going to adjust at the half. You weren't going to duplicate less than 70 yards of total offense. And you weren't going to shut them out. It wasn't going to happen. They were going to make their plays. And they made their plays. And tip your cap to Baltimore. But I'm also going to tip my cap to the Colts defense. Because the Colts defense in this game definitely played well enough to win this game. I'm not going to put this game on the Colts defense. Could they have been better in the second half? Yeah, but they were exhausted. They're going up against a good offense with a lot of playmakers, a lot of speed. We looked faster than them for the bulk of this game. I really think, all in all, when you add up all the possessions, I think our defense outplayed their offense. But their offense, because ours is so inept, we gave them so many opportunities. We gave them opportunities with great field position in the second half. We gifted them seven points on the Jonathan Taylor fumble in the first half. We gave them plenty of opportunities, not blaming that on our defense. Now, as a team, their defense outplayed our offense more than our defense outplayed their offense. So when you add it all up, we lose this game by 14 points. And Harbaugh 100% outcoached Frank Reich. I mean, that's not even a question. We 100% got outcoached in this game. It's not even a question that we got outcoached in this game. Not Eberflus, I'm talking about Frank Reich. Reich got outcoached. And then when it comes to head coaching decisions, that was an incredible chat. I mean... Say what you want about the call. I hated the call. I hated the reversal. That was a great challenge by Harbaugh. I would have ate that challenge flag 100 out of 100 times. I didn't see anything to overturn that. So credit to the Baltimore Ravens replay team and credit Harbaugh for thinking it was close enough to even throw that challenge flag because I never would have thrown that challenge flag. And that could have been the difference in this game. So that was a great call. And then all the fourth down decisions, Frank Reich, we could talk about the rhythm. We could talk about all the terrible play calls, all the second and eight runs, second and nine runs where you're just setting Phillip Rivers up for failure, late in the game, you're down by 11 points. You have a fourth in inches. And this is where I get into Frank Reich and just putting his players in positions to fail rather than positions to succeed. There's a lot to unpack on this play. There's a lot to unpack on this play. You have fourth and inches. You're down 11 points. First off, it's a two-possession game. You have roughly six minutes left in this game. You got to take the points. I like the aggressive nature, even though the entire drive, you're running the football as if you're winning the game or it's a tied game. So it's so weird to me. He's so unaggressive the entire drive, coaching like he's playing backyard football and there's no clock, playing like we're playing to a set score or he's winning the game, or we're tied, or it's a one-possession game, so nonchalant the entire drive. Second down run, run the ball. Then we have a fourth and inches, and he goes from super conservative to super aggressive, and now he goes for it on fourth and inches. It's an 11-point game. I am a firm believer, and I was just talking to my dad about this. We're both firm believers in extending the game. I don't know if this is an analytic thing, but if it is, I think the analytics are wrong. Because analytically, wouldn't you rather take the three points, make it an eight-point game, that way you only need to get the ball back once? Because then if you fail in that conversion, you're down two possessions with five minutes and change left in the game. So now you need to get the ball back twice, and you have to score twice, and one of them is probably going to be a field goal anyway. So take the three points. Put your defense back on the field, who's been playing great for the majority of the game, and they finally had time to rest, and then what's the defense do? They come right out and they get a stop. 
and we get the ball back. But we get the ball back down 11 rather than down 8. And does this offense get into the end zone, score a touchdown, get the two-point conversion? No, I'm not saying they do. But you got to coach it like you have confidence that that could eventually happen. In my opinion, that's the way I would coach it. Because I think you need to prolong the game. Make it a one-score game. Make it a game where even if you get the ball back with 30 seconds, you have a chance. You could run the pitch and ladder play. You have a chance. You have a puncher's chance. You have a prayer to get the ball in the end zone. And then run something and get the ball in for two. At least you have a chance. You coach to put yourself in a position now where you don't get it. The game is over. And that's what we saw. And the game was over. You're down 11 points. You have to take three. Make it an eight-point game. Make it an eight-point game. I hated it. Hated the decision. Now, let's forget about the decision and talk about the play call. You have fourth and inches. Bring in Jacoby Brissett and run a QB keeper up the middle. Run the ball with Jordan Wilkins. This is my problem. I see a lot of people complaining about Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers has physical limitations. There are certain things he's just not capable of doing. There's other things he does really well. He really does do a lot of things really well, but you need to put him in position to do those things. You can't have a 38-year-old quarterback who turns 39 next month go with a bootleg reversal play action on fourth and inches where he's now running for his life. If I'm the Baltimore Ravens, my number one key to the game defensively is to make Rivers move. It's the anti-Lamar Jackson. With Lamar Jackson, we want to keep him in the pocket. We want to contain the edges. We want to push the pocket up the middle, and we want to keep him in the pocket and make him beat us from the pocket. With Phillip Rivers, you want to do the exact opposite. You want to flush him out, make him move, which they did multiple times today. You want to make him move, and you want him to be uncomfortable and throw on the run. On that fourth and inches, that we ran a play like we were trying to pick up seven yards. We go with a bootleg play action, run around, and now all of a sudden you have Phillip Rivers running for his life, throwing off his back foot. I think I'm... Remembering this correctly, I only watched it one time and then I thought I was going to vomit, so I had to look away. I thought I was going to vomit, projectile vomit, all over my television set. Because it was disgusting. So Philip Rivers has his physical limitations. You have to coach to his strengths. You can't coach to his weaknesses. So I hated even going for it there, and I'm usually a pretty aggressive guy. The whole drive I would have been throwing. The whole drive, we're running the ball, we're playing conservative. Now we get to a fourth and inches, and all of a sudden, we decide to play super aggressive and stupid and have Philip Rivers running around, playing right into the lap. Of the Baltimore Ravens. That's what the Ravens want. The Ravens want him to be uncomfortable. The Ravens want him to be on the move. It's where he's at his worst. We put Rivers in a position to be as uncomfortable as possible on fourth and inches, which turned out to be the biggest play of the game. In a two-possession game, I would have kicked the field goal. Reich doesn't kick the field goal. Decides to go for it. Awful. Awful. I don't know what else to say. I could continue to rip the officials. I could continue to rip... Frank Reich, and let me explain specifically my stance on Phillip Rivers because a lot of people get it twisted. The decision-making, 
has to be better. You're 38 years old. You've been in the league since 2004. You've been a starter, I think, since 2006. You have to be smarter. Now, I also have come to terms with the fact that he'll never be smarter because Phillip Rivers has been in the league since 2004. He's been a starter since 2006, and he's been making boneheaded plays since then. He'll continue to make boneheaded plays, and that'll just be the legacy of Phillip Rivers. He's going to go down as a player that was really good, put up really good stats, won a bunch of games, has some really good accolades, possibly a Hall of Fame career. The numbers are off the charts for his career. He was most likely heading to the Hall of Fame, but he's always made that one or two boneheaded decision late in the game to cost his team the game. That's always been the guy he is. So I'm not going to excuse him for that. I'm going to accept the fact that that is who he is, and he's always going to be that guy. And every couple games, he's going to make a boneheaded decision that could kill you. And we saw that today. Even though I didn't like the overturn, the overturn and the call by the official does not excuse the fact that Phillip Rivers made a boneheaded decision and made a terrible throw because Peters easily could have caught that ball without putting the fate of the play and the result in the hands of the officials. He could have just flat out caught the ball. He didn't catch the ball. I could go off and off and off and off and off about that. But the play was there to be made because Phillip Rivers made a boneheaded decision. I'll never excuse the boneheaded decisions from Phillip Rivers. I will come to terms with it. And that's just, that's, that is who he is. He's always going to be a guy who makes bad decisions and turns over the football. But as far as the physical limitations, him trying to throw off his back foot and getting flushed out the pocket, a lot of that is just a physical limitation of a 38-year-old guy who was never mobile. He wasn't mobile when he was 24, 28. Why is he going to all of a sudden be mobile when he's 38? So he has a lot of physical limitations, which I will never grill him about. I'm never going to get on a guy for not physically being able to do something. You need to put him in the best position, just like the Ravens are trying to put him in a position to fail. As his coach, you're supposed to put him in a position to succeed. And I think Reich has failed for the most part. Sometimes he does it. But all in all, I think he's failed to put Rivers in the best position to succeed and be a successful quarterback. I still think Phillip Rivers is an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. We came into this game with a plus-minus of plus 62. I still think this is a playoff team. I still think Phillip Rivers is an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. But Frank Reich has to be better. I am losing faith in Frank Reich week in and week out. I think at times he looks like a genius. But he just can't keep it consistent enough for me. He's not consistently good enough. He's just not consistently good enough as a play caller. And most of my issues with him are not him as a head coach, him behind the scenes, him. My main issue is with Frank Reich as a play caller. You have 10 days off after Tennessee. I would strongly consider giving it up, giving it to Sirianni. I understand Sirianni has never called plays in the National Football League. I don't know if he's ever called plays ever, but I would like to see a change of pace. Personally, I would like to see a change of pace. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but you can't do it this week, short week. Next week, you have 10 days off for the Packers. Personally, I would go with Nick Sirianni. I would switch it up. I would change it up. I think Frank Reich will improve as an overall head coach when he gives it up. And I'm not ready to say fire Frank Reich. My main issue with Reich, and I have a couple issues, my main issue with Reich is him as a play caller. Now, Another issue I have with Frank Reich is his post-game pressers and the way he talks about his players. He talks like a politician post-game. 
which is something I have an issue with. Frank Reich after the game, quote, we have all the confidence in the world in Jonathan Taylor. All the confidence in the world. A guy you have now benched two weeks in a row, you have all the confidence in the world in Jonathan Taylor. That is BS. And the Indianapolis media, they have to call that out. That's obviously BS. Follow-up question. Frank Reich, how could you have all the confidence in the world in a player you benched two weeks in a row? He did the same thing with Adam Vinatieri. He did the same thing with Jacoby Brissett. He's lying through his teeth. It's BS. And I hate that. I hate that politician shtick from my head coach. I hate it. Be point blank. Listen, he's a rookie. We have a lot of faith in him moving forward. We drafted him where he drafted him for a reason. He was a great collegiate running back. He's going to be a great player in this league. But he's going through his rookie growing pains. And we don't feel confident. We don't feel comfortable with him right now in big spots. Boom. That's what you say. Last year, listen, Adam Vinatieri is a Hall of Famer. He's a great kicker. He's clearly struggling, and we're going to evaluate where we are. Boom. Jacoby Brissett clearly lied through his teeth about Jacoby. He loves Jacoby. I get it. Jacoby's a great leader. He's a great guy. I get it. Same thing with Vinatieri. Same thing with Jonathan Taylor, I'm sure. These are great guys. But you have to stop that super, I can never throw my players under the bus. Just be honest. You benched him two weeks in a row. Say, listen, he's a rookie. He's going through his rookie growing pains. He's making mistakes that cost this football team. And for the time being, we're going to rock with the vet. He went on and on and on about Jacoby Brissett and how Jacoby's a starter and Jacoby's a top 15 quarterback, blah, 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 blah. The first thing Chris Bally did this offseason was upgrade from Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers. He immediately addressed the quarterback situation. And then he drafted one in the fourth round. Jacoby Brissett was never going to be the starting quarterback this year. But Frank Reich never let up on that. And I'm all about protecting the players, but you have to be honest. You bench this kid two weeks in a row. You clearly have lost confidence currently. Not big picture. Not long term. Next week, he's probably going to be the starter again. And in a year or two from now, he might be an all-pro. I expect him to be an all-pro. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be a great running back in this league. But be honest. Stop that politician shtick. I'm not a fan of the politician crap. And I don't even remember what I said and what I didn't say this podcast. So I'm going to get back into the Jonathan Taylor thing real quick. That was a game changer. A big time game changer. But the way I look at this game is you have a great defense in Baltimore. You have a great defense in Indianapolis. Both defenses are going to make that one big game changing play, right? So... They make that great play. They force a fumble on Jonathan Taylor. They get the scoop and score. That's why the game is close at halftime. It's the only reason the game is close at halftime. That in addition to them winning the field position battle and them out punting us because we had a couple touchbacks. They pinned us inside the five-yard line. That was really the difference. The difference in the first half, the only reason it was close, they out punted us and they had the scoop and score on the Jonathan Taylor fumble. But there's a second half to be played. They have a great drive. They're about to go in for seven to open up the second half. DeForest Buckner gets the strip on Lamar Jackson, recovered by Darius Leonard, then fumbled by Leonard, recovered by Okariki. That was us erasing seven points. So they get a fumble. They score a touchdown. We get a fumble erasing seven points. Like, they got a fumble scoring seven points. We got a fumble erasing seven points, recovering it, and changing the game and swinging it back in our direction to the point where you could say, okay, let's pretend 
that Taylor didn't fumble, even though the fumble from Taylor still completely threw off. Like, that's the biggest difference. To me, the biggest difference is we have a fumble, and Frank Wright goes into the crapper. Frank Wright can't recover. He just can't find his balance and get back on track after the Taylor fumble. The Ravens, they fumble the ball. They get it back one play later. They go right down the field. They score a touchdown, and they score X amount of unanswered points for the rest of the game. That's the biggest difference to me. They score 17 points unanswered following their fumble. So they fumble the ball, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, game over. That's the biggest difference. But in terms of just play for play, pound for pound, we fumble the ball. They go plus seven. They're about to go plus seven with the ball. We force a fumble. So that's a wash right there. We have a fumble. They have a fumble. They score seven. We prevent seven. That should be a wash. That's why that pick. The terrible decision from Phillip Rivers, the terrible throw by Phillip Rivers, the drop by Marcus Peters, and then the terrible call and the overturn by the officials. That was the biggest play of the game. That was a game changer. Even if even if you're Phillip Rivers and you could go on a little tiny baby drive there, get the ball to the 50-yard line, kill three minutes. Let our defense rest and catch their breath, and then you punt it back to them. You pin them inside, let's say, the 15-yard line. Well, they just went 65 yards. Now they come back on the field, and our defense is a little bit rested and rejuvenated. Now they have to. you're daring them to go the length of the field. Instead, you give them a short field, and they have to go, what, 50 yards to score a touchdown when our defense is already tired? So that was the biggest play of the game to me. Reich was awful, but the biggest play of the game, as mad as I am at Frank Reich, the biggest play was that pick and the officials. And you could also look at the Julian Blackman penalty and then Doyle getting his bell rung and there being no penalty. Clear helmet-to-helmet contact, no penalty. But for those of you who are sick and tired of me bitching and moaning and complaining, even though that's what we should be doing as Colt fans, for the most part, I thought we competed today. I really thought we competed. I thought that we outplayed that. I thought we dominated. We dominated the first half of this game. Our defense was stellar in the first half of this football game. Stellar in the first half of this game. Darius Leonard is a big-time player. DeForest Buckner is a big-time player. Blackman, that play that Blackman and Kenny Moore made when they got to the edge, they cut off the edge and they ran the running back out of bounds. That was one of the best plays I've seen a defense, like just in terms of like textbook defense on how to set the edge. We read Lamar pretty well. It sucks because they had so many bad snaps and Lamar made so many incredible catches on those bad snaps. It sucked that we were never able to come up with one of those, even though we did get the big fumble inside the five-yard line. We never got one of those bad snaps to really benefit us. And then Lamar made plays, and you have to credit Lamar Jackson. He won the MVP award last year for a reason. He's a great player. We shut him down in the first half. All in all, I mean, he didn't have the greatest game. He beat us with his legs a couple times. They had a huge fourth and three conversion. They had a big third in inches where I think he scored a touchdown on that play. And that play action and that QB keeper and that quarterback RPO option, I mean, that's tough to stop when you have an elite athlete like Lamar Jackson. It's going to be tough to stop him. And we said this in the preview. It's going to be tough to stop him for an entire game. You're going to have to do your best to contain him. And all in all, I thought we did a pretty good job containing him. I also think the Colts found a gem 
into Michael Harris. I would like to see them use him a little bit more. We used him heavy in the first quarter, and that's when our offense was at our best. We kind of used him as our new version of Paris Campbell. He's kind of like our Walmart Paris Campbell, and then we just abandoned him in the second half until garbage time, and we get him another reception. So I like the way they use Harris. He has two rushing attempts for 28 yards. He has four receptions for 27 yards. So I like that. I want to see more of that. Instead, we see it early in the game, and then we just abandon it. And also Michael Pittman Jr., four receptions, 456 yards. I thought today was his best game. He made some big plays, had a big third down conversion. We didn't have T.Y. today. How much did we miss T.Y.? I don't know. It's hard to gauge because he's been more of a decoy this year for the Colts. He really hasn't done much, but did we miss him out there? Yeah, I'm sure we missed him. I think having T.Y. out there makes Marcus Johnson's job easier. He only has two receptions for 14 yards, so it's got to be hard for Marcus Johnson, who kind of came into this game as our number one wide receiver. So very disappointed in Frank Reich, extremely disappointed in Frank Reich, and it makes me question him as a head coach. Phillip Rivers, say what you want about him. He'll most likely be gone after this year. Maybe he comes back. If he comes back, we're in the same boat. It's a one-year contract. You're either developing Jacob Eason to be your future starter. You draft the guy this year to sit behind Phillip Rivers for a year as he develops as your franchise quarterback. But Phillip Rivers is a 38-year-old man who's turning 39 in December. He's not the future. Frank Reich, is he the coach to eventually, when we get everything in place, when we have the quarterback, when we have everything, is he the guy to get us to the promised land? Because up until this point, he was great. He was great when we had Andrew Luck. But you have Andrew Luck. You have a top five quarterback in the league. You have a quarterback who was so damn good, he brought Chuck Pagano to 33 wins in an AFC championship in the first three years of his career and Pagano's tenure in Indianapolis. That's how great Andrew Luck was. And I'm not saying that Frank Reich is Chuck Pagano. I think he's a much better coach than Pagano is. But up until this point, all his success has stemmed from the top five quarterback, Chuck Pagano. All his success stemmed from the top five quarterback. And this roster, minus the quarterback, is a hell of a lot better than those teams. So I think Frank Reich is an average coach. Play calling, at times he's A+, but at times he's also D-F. And it's extremely inconsistent. The only consistency is that he's going to start the game with a good drive, and then he's going to go into the crapper in the second half because it seems to happen every week. You go to Jacksonville week one, we don't score a point in the second half, or at least we don't score a touchdown. Maybe we kicked a field goal. We didn't score a touchdown in the second half against Jacksonville in week one. Today, we scored 10 points in the first half, no points in the second half. The offense was non-existent in the second half. One yard of total offense in the third quarter. That's inexcusable. That's absolutely inexcusable. So we have a lot of pieces. Like I know that Chris Ballard is the man. I know Chris Ballard is the GM of the future. Has he been perfect? Has he made mistakes? Of course he's made mistakes. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Belichick's not perfect. Look at Belichick right now. Belichick's clearly not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So Ballard has made his fair share of mistakes. He hired Frank Reich. That might be a mistake. Darius Leonard, clearly a superstar. Buckner, clearly a superstar. Nelson, clearly a superstar. So we have a lot of players that are clearly superstar caliber players, all pro, pro bowl kind of guys. Frank Reich, the jury's still out. All his success, all his success has come from Andrew Luck. We're three years removed from Andrew Luck. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, just like I give Ballard. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for having Luck, Jacoby, Rivers, and possibly quarterback number four in year number four for Frank Reich and his offense. I get that. 
I do. I honestly do. The difference is Ballard has had success finding Pro Bowl talent, all pro talent in the draft, and building a really good roster, which I think is being let down and not utilized properly by the head coach. Jason said it on the Q&A this week. The best coach on this staff is Matt Eberflus. I agree with that. And when Matt Eberflus gets a head coaching job, I think he'll be a better coach, head coach, than Frank Reich. So, tough game for the Colts. Brutal game for the Colts. 24-10. We have another one on Thursday. Huge game on Thursday. Division opponent, Tennessee Titans, on the road. They're coming off a win today. They played Chicago. We're coming off this heartbreaking loss. You look at it, it's a 14-point loss, a two-touchdown loss. It was a lot closer than that. This was a lot closer than a 14.2 touchdown loss. Getting more than doubled up on the scoreboard didn't feel like that when you watched the game. This game was a lot closer than the scoreboard. We got outcoached in this game. We had the turnover differential kill us. The fourth down conversions kill us. We ultimately lose. But we have three huge games coming up over the next three weeks. We have the Titans twice. We have the Packers. Ideally, you sweep the Titans, lose to the Packers. You finish this four-game stretch 2-2. Two and two. Ideal, well, I should say ideally you go 3-0. and oh. That's probably not going to happen. But you need at least one against the Titans in the Packer game or a better way of going 2-1 and one over the next three. You sweep Tennessee and you beat the Green Bay Packers. Quick turnaround for the Colts. Quick turnaround for us here on the For the Culture Podcast. We'll be back with the game preview on I guess Tuesday so quick turnaround for us we'll be back Tuesday with the game preview game on Thursday our first primetime game of the year Thursday night football under the lights Nissan Stadium in Tennessee taking on the Tennessee Titans I'm your host Luke Diamond tough one guys gotta put it in the rear view mirror forget about it quick get back out there let's get a win on Thursday and enjoy our 10 days off before the Packers in week 11 right here on the For the Culture Podcast